Welcome to the latest episode of the Brush Builders Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Brush Builders Union, Simon Berman. And this month, I am joined by the one and only Shoshi Bauer of Shoshi's Magnificent Minis. Shoshi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Yeah, getting ready for Thanksgiving here. Um, yes. A small, quiet one, I think, but uh, that's the year, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. We've already can- canceled plans with our family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my folks were in Florida, and I was I was not going to do that. They didn't want no. me to anyway, so it's my, a bummer. What are you going to do? My daughter and my mom were going to come over, and instead we're making our turkey, and we're going to go, you know, like bring food to them and then leave it on their door. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sort of a, a like a, a ding-dong dash kind of Thanksgiving. Yes. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's great to talk to you again. You know, I think some people listening may know that we, I spoke with you um, back when I was doing the Plan of Attack podcast three or four years ago. Yeah. Um, and lots has happened since then. Your career has continued to uh, escalate in miniatures painting. And uh, I'm excited <laughs> to talk to you about all that again. Yeah. I mean, I'm really lucky. I've been able to keep it going and still not burn out. I'm kind of amazed about that. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> been good yeah you you paint as as your your career essentially don't you yeah absolutely and so if that's the thing is I've always kind of had to protect against burnout because of that you know you can't if it's your job you have to do it right so you have to make do it in such a way that you won't get tired of it yeah I mean you know uh we can come back a little bit later on because I definitely want to hear about you know how you what you do to to combat fatigue and burnout and stuff because I I think Mm. you know even for the average you know amateur hobbyist out there you know if you're painting a big army or something it can be kind of overwhelming so I definitely have to get into that but um to uh kind of talk about it so so you're a competitive painter you're a commission painter um what, what all do you do I I would actually say I'm not as competitive as I have been in the past I think and I'm I think going forward actually I'm kind of probably not going to be doing too many competitions in the future yeah um yeah and I it's not I mean it's it's partly that I don't don't really enjoy the process um I think I've, t- I've talked about this before on other podcasts but um competitions are difficult for me um, in a lot of ways and the way they are run in, in the United States, um, just is not, not my favorite, you know, sure. <laughs> the, the European scene is a little bit better with open competitions. And so you're given a better sense of where you stand. And, you know, if you make a certain level, like P, the way P3 did, they had open competitions, Um, so if you made a bronze level, you got a bronze coin or whatever. I kind of like Mm -hmm. that a little bit better, but if I could have what I really wanted, it would actually just be an art show and no prize. Sure. You know, cause that is really the only reason why I enter competitions is to show because there's no real way for people to see my work up close outside of that. So, but yeah, I am a professional painter and I do commit, I really am primarily commission painter. Um, I do paint a little bit for myself and then sell, but that's, that's just starting. That's just beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently started a, a new model on my Twitch channel where I do, I call them blind auctions. And it's a way for somebody to get a Shoshi's Mini at a good, at a cost they can afford. Um, And then I still, like, I usually paint it on stream. So then I'm kind of still being paid for some of my effort, right? Mm -hmm. And the blind auction works that people will bid what they can afford. And I, I, this last time I had a minimum um, of a few, a few of the pieces had a hundred dollar minimum. And if people don't want to pay the minimum, they don't, they don't bid, you know, and if they do, they could potentially get it for that minimum, you know, like, sure. I had a kingdom death model that I painted, go to somebody f- for $15, you know, cause it didn't have a minimum on it. Mm. And it's better than it's sitting around my studio. Sure. I'm not having to pay any eBay fees because it's just through me. 
and a fan gets a piece of my work. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's funny you mentioned you know, not having it sitting around your studios. Uh, in the rest of my professional life, I, I I manage an artist, and you know one of the, and she she's oh. she's really shown me how not to be precious about her art. You know, she's always yeah. making stuff and 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 things, and you know she's she loves her work, and she's proud of it. But you know, at the end of the day, the last thing she wants is another goddamn painting in her house. Exactly. Yes. Yes. They, so are, they there's a saying about fine artists that you know. Um, most of the time it's a storage problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. You know, you, she'll have, she'll have pieces, you know, you know, sell for a few thousand dollars or so, so on and so forth. But, you know, often she's just happy to like, just get it out of the house for a couple hundred bucks and, you know, somebody gets a great deal and, you know, she's, she's happy to not have it there and she's happy that it's with somebody who loves it. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the most important thing to me. And the people who follow my Twitch stream are pretty avid you know, fans, they support me by watching me every week. And we have this whole little community and I feel like I know them. So then it feels even better when they get a piece, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, th I think the, the, the gratification of having something you work that hard on go to somebody who loves it is, you know, really, it's, it's great. It's a great feeling, isn't it? Yes. Yes. You know, I, I do a little bit of, you know, very low key commission painting myself, you know, obviously nothing on your level, but you know, it's always great when the client's like, oh, I love it. I'm going to use this thing all the time or I'm going to put it on a display piece. Or, oh you know. yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, you know, um, you started out as, as a, as a hobbyist very briefly, right? With War Machine and Hordes, mm -hmm. but you, you pretty quickly transitioned to doing professional work, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so the kind of the progression was that my husband got me into War Machine Hordes and I painted my own stuff. And then the people in this store, they saw, you know, the other people saw that I did stuff and they would commission me. Now, at that time, that was before I was professional, right? I was just another gamer. Sure. Um, and so they would say, I, I would say, "How? when do you want it done by? And they would be like, well, whenever. And they would literally get it. It's the worst, it. isn't it? <laughs> yes, they would literally get it whenever. And so I actually got a reputation at that time in my local area as being slow which is so funny now because i'm really really fast because i will i'm generally only work two months out and um the month that you book you will probably get your mini in that same month oh wow yeah so if you booked for december and it's promised it's usually promised by the end of december so so it's so funny that that, that is what, yeah. <laughs> what was my reputation. But yeah, so then then I did fine art for many years. Um, and it's funny because I actually had gone to a seminar at Gen Con where I'd watched Jen Haley, Marika Reimer, um, Anne, I can't remember her name from Reaper, um, and uh, at least one other female painter. It was, a, it was like a whole... Um, panel of uh, female professional painters and it, they had all complained so much about how it was a job and they didn't have any fun anymore and how they had slaved over like thousands and thousands of models because like at the time Marika Mimer was working for Crocodile Games and had done That's their right. entire line and there, there yeah. were a lot and it just sounded like a slog and they actually turned me off of the idea of painting professionally. So I went into fine art. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the big money is, right? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I did okay. But the sure. thing is, I was a watercolorist. I did bright, vivid, abstract watercolors. And if you know anything about the watercolor market, that is not a market. Huh. <laughs> So I had to create my own from scratch and I built it off the internet. And this is really 2006. So people really weren't into the idea of e-commerce as much back then. Um, but I had built this um, network and I was selling work and selling prints online. Um, and I was doing okay, but I, my market was women that wanted to match their couch and I had trouble relating. <laughs> 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 and, 
And then my Reaper Bones Kickstarter rewards came in the mail and I was in the process of my gallery had just closed and I wanted to get a new portfolio together, but I started, you know, getting distracted with these miniatures. And then I threw some up on eBay and because I already am a nerd and a geek, I knew exactly how to market to these people. Sure. And I've always said that we as gamers and nerds, we have impulse buying control issues. And if you just write some good copy, we'll click it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so it took off really quickly. And when I realized that I could sell the Kira Pathfinder from Reaper for, I sold it for like $115 to somebody in Tasmania. I was like, that's almost as much as a full framed painting for me. And I was like, okay, I think this is a better margin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> better market. And I know my market. Sure. <laughs> and so that's when I switched and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so, you know, at that point when you were, you were doing you know, sort of one-off pieces on eBay and so forth, were you, did yeah. you ever get into doing any studio work or? So I, I still haven't done a ton of studio work, but the, the first real studio art that I did I don't know if this counts as studio, but Privateer Press actually commissioned me to do a couple tutorials for um, the magazine um, no Cry quarter. Havoc. No yeah. quarter, no quarter. Yeah, and so that was like the first kind of professional gives that I got. And then I did another. I did box art for another company called War on Christmas Village. You have to look that up. I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> those are really <laughs> awesome minis. <laughs> that was cool stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's about it. I haven't done a lot of studio work actually. So I is, think is I that really like design at this point. I don't know. I just really enjoyed doing stuff for private collectors and, um, you know, box art is its own level of stress. Yeah. It's not bad though. I mean, like I'll do, it's just a, I think what it is, is that I don't change my prices my prices are the same for a collector as it would be for a box art sure and i don't know if the box art um artists are charging very much you know yeah (laughs) or vice versa like the companies may not be i don't know because i haven't i the quotes that i've given to people they've never bitten right Mm -hmm. so i don't know maybe if i'm charging too much or what but I'm happy to do them if people pay my price, right? So yeah, no, no, of course. <laughs> Speaking of pricing, actually, I'm curious about this. Have you found that there's much of a race to the bottom as far as commission pricing? Absolutely, but that's the thing is that you you just you just can't worry about what other people are charging. You're when I first started painting professionally, I happened to be moonlighting at the time as a substitute teacher. And so when I substitute taught, um, I would go in and I would teach for six and a half hours and I'd get $100 for a day, right? And so when I first started commission painting, a single mini would be like $25. But then I realized if I'm going to stay at home and paint rather than go teach, it needs to be needs to be worth it, right? Yeah. So I raised my price at the first time I raised it was I've made it the same as if I were to substitute teach for six and a half hours. Um, So I raised it to a hundred dollars and I actually got more commissions when I raised the price than before. And I honestly think it's because, you know, art is subjective and people, um, the quality and the, the, it's subjective what it's worth, right? It's worth what you tell them it's worth. Yeah, absolutely. And so that goes for a thousand dollar, oil painting you know I mean your time is still your time so for me at that time my time was worth you know a hundred dollars if I was going to paint a mini so it had to be Mm -hmm. a minimum of that and you know if you're marketing yourself right then um you know there really isn't competition I'm not going to go into details because that's my secret sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I think it's a good point, though, is that, you know, um, when, when you when you charge what, you know, you think it's actually worth, and if, if you're producing good work, you know, that people are going to respond to that. Because, you know, I think if, if you if you have a very low-priced item in any market, 
there, there's going to be a question of the quality of it. You know, if you're saying, no, I stand by this and this is, this is a hundred dollar paint job or whatever your price is. Um, and people right. can look at it and say it's quality. They're going to be like, they're, 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 they may be more inclined to buy it because it's more expensive, which is sort of a weird thing to wrap your head around. But I think it's a pretty fundamental truth, especially in art. I think we all, I mean, almost all artists across the board tend to devalue their work. So generally, I mean, unless you have a very high opinion of yourself, which I don't think a lot of artists do, um, you're probably undervaluing yourself, you know, no matter what you're charging. So it's fair to say that, you know, you probably, you probably could raise it and be okay. You know? (laughs) Yeah. I think that's very sound. So when you were, um, sort of making the transition from, from, um, hobbyist to professional at that point, were you doing a lot of competitions? Um, no, not a lot. Um, the first competition that I entered was, um, actually P3. I had done a couple commissions and I'd taken them to Gen Con and Michael Proctor, who, um, works with Reaper a lot had, was there and he saw them and thought they looked really good and he gave me some tips on them and he said you should just enter them because they're here and the contest is there you know and then ron hawkins who's like the main he's one of the main owners of reaper he came up and he he picked up my mini and i was like (gasps) you know (laughs) (laughs) and he's looking at them and then he set them down and he said something like oh i thought those were were Michael's and my head just exploded. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And then I ended up getting a bronze on those pieces. And that was my first, that was my first competition prize that I'd ever gotten. And so it was a big deal. And that's when I was kind of like, maybe I could do this, you know? Yeah. But I still, even then I didn't like, I didn't like the entering. I got anxiety real bad. And I don't know. It's just not a good feeling when I enter. I don't, I don't like the process. You know. No, I, I get that. I, it's something that I, it's never interested me on a personal level. And, you know, I, I, I've had to I've had to judge a few miniatures competitions over the years, um, yeah. which I find actually maybe more stressful than entering one. Abs. Oh, definitely. Me too. I I've judged a couple contests, and I don't think I'm I don't think I'm ever going to do it again. It's just, you know, it's great to have those people who win, but then there's all the people who didn't. And I, I can never help but think about those people. And I always yeah, feel bad no matter what level they're at. No, exactly. I mean, in my experience, it was usually, you know, I'd be traveling at a show for, for privateer press and the, the convention would have, you know, it would be a smaller commission. They'd be having a miniatures painting contest and it's like, this, this like, you know, mm-hmm. oh, our, our judge can't do this. We need you to do it because you're privateer press staff. And I'd be like, well, God damn it. I guess I oh, have to. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, you know, I don't think, you know, I think of myself as a, an accomplished hobbyist, but not, you know, a professional or, you know, anybody suitable to judge. So I, I always would, you know, I, it was always a puzzle to me, like, you know, how was I going to judge this? What were the, what were the criteria that made it a good miniature or not? Yeah. You know, I think some people, it's a talent to be able to, to do that, but it's also subjective, you know, and I, it is, it, and it's it, way but, more subjective than anybody actually admits. Yeah. The whole process, that's part of my issue with the competitions is that it is subjective. Um, And then people claim it's not. It's really based on technical ability. And it's like, yeah, yeah, no, I don't think so. I think there's a little bit of both. And you cannot, you know, remove that bit. Especially above above a certain level of of painting skill, it becomes super subjective, right? Because then it comes down to like what techniques you prefer which ones the artist prefers. And then I, I think an yeah. odd sort of element to the to competitive painting is that at the end of the day, the paint is being applied to a commercial product that has its own flaws and, and, and bonuses and so forth. So I, it's, it's, it's very complicated, mm-hmm. but uh, so, let me ask you a question. So when, when you're thinking about what makes a, a good paint sculpt from your, your purely, a good paint job from your purely subjective opinion, what, what, what do you like to see in a miniature, well... in a, in a miniature paint job? I mean, I'm going to be straight up honest that for me, I like the kind of work that I do. I like really saturated colors. I like a story that's, you know, told. I like to feel emotion. And it goes for it goes the same for two-dimensional paintings too. You know, there's other there's other painters out there that like this dark and gritty and like, you know, and I'm just like, mm, no, not me. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's, again, that's where the subjectivity comes in is that most, most artists tend to lean toward what their style is. That's what they like. And that's why they paint that way, you know? So sure. that's that when I am looking at art of any kind, I tend to like stuff that's got a lot of color and um and also the the this the piece itself is telling some kind of story. A sense of narrative. Yeah. When you're thinking about <laughs> how you're going to paint a miniature, obviously you're gonna choose your colors um and so forth. But you know, yeah. is there are you thinking about lighting? Are you thinking about the pose? Are you thinking about how the base is going to what 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 is the, the what is your process for all of that? Goodness. Um, I think it's different with different pieces for sure. Sometimes I'll, it's funny because I am, I have said this before on my Twitch stream. I am a very lazy, lazy painter. So if I don't have to dream up a color scheme, I I won't. (laughs) If I can like use the concept art and copy the concept art onto the model, I will. Or there was one piece that I've done um, and it was called uh, Salamanca, and it was from Aradia Miniatures. And you may remember it, it was like this, like she looks kind of like a little teenage witch, and she was riding a broom. I do remember that. That was a great yeah, piece. That was a great piece. Um, and I went and I just Googled kind of like witch color palette, I think is was the keywords that I used. Uh-huh. And I found a piece that had all the colors in it, and I just transferred that all to this model. But, you know, like I said, somebody else had done all the work as far as matching all the colors. So all mm-hmm. I had to do was, you know, use that palette and transfer. Sure. And I really enjoy the process of deconstructing another artist's palette and then putting it onto, you know, my work. There was another piece I did recently. Um, it was, it's part of the bus series that I did of women. Um, the, this one was called the water, the water element. Mm-hmm. And she has the seashell and she's got this big piece of coral behind her. And I think I, I looked up this artist from, no, not exactly Renaissance artist, but, you know, one of the classical masters. Sure. And he was like an Austrian painter. Um, and he had done a piece of mermaids and a fisherman and everything. And I, I totally ripped off his palette and put it on this model and it came out really gorgeous. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of my processes. I do, I don't tend to, I don't tend to make up palettes from scratch generally. Mm-hmm. So I tend to use, um, references even for my color. No, that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, if somebody's already done the heavy lifting, why do it yourself, right? Yeah, especially if you're a commission artist. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's fast. That's so, one of the things when I did like a lot of War Machine hordes and gaming models, those were the easiest models to paint because they already have box art. And 90% of clients will love it if they could yeah. have replicated box art. Of course. So do you, ever, do you ever think of this in sort of the way that, you know, an artist will do or an illustrator will do a study of like an old master or something to kind of deconstruct it and see how it works? Do you, do you yeah. see that as an applicable? For sure. Absolutely. And that's basically what I'm doing with my colors is trying to figure out, how, you know, and sometimes even lighting, depending on what what my reference is. Are, are you doing a lot of um, source lighting? It, again, it depends on the model. Yeah, the model. So Kingdom Death has a lot of source lighting. Um, but I keep it pretty simple, you know, I use the same kind of soft candlelight kind of things for all the lantern, for all the lanterns. It's funny, your, your kingdom death models are so beautiful. I actually feel like I'm seeing more of those in the studio models at this point going around online. <laughs> yeah, maybe cause I'm, I'm pretty prolific with them. I really, I have a ton of my own and then I just like if, cause I pretty much, um, once I got into kingdom death. I kind of got out of War Machine Hordes altogether because it's such an expensive game. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. And I kept finding myself, I kept buying them and I kept buying them. And I'm like, okay, I can't afford more than one game right now. Definitely don't have the time for more than one game. So so at least I'm painting, you know, 
my own stuff, but it's leading to more commissions of more stuff that I like. So it all feeds itself. What What is the uh, the draw of the Kingdom Death models to you in particular? Because it does seem like you, you really do love them. Well, I think I love painting skin. And there is a lot of that. That is one thing I've, you know, that I like over. So, we, you know, with like Warhammer and War Machine Hordes, there's only, a, there's a limited amount of organic things. Yeah, lots of armor. Kingdom Death is almost all organic. And so that, that suits my style a lot more. Um, just the, I don't know. I don't know how else to, this, there's a whole aesthetic with Kingdom Death. And it's definitely not for everyone, but it, you know, the colors, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mystery to you. It's a lot. Yeah. I guess I think it's that there's sort of an anime, like a little bit of a cartoony esque, mm-hmm. and I can, I can be a little bit more playful with my colors. So they have very exaggerated features, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. And you can be, you can be really moody with them too. Because it's a it's a world it's basically a world of darkness. Yeah. And sometimes the only light that there is is those little lanterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I think your work on that stuff is always so evocative. I'm, I'm whenever I see you know is it, uh, what is the the big spider monster you did for that? For uh, that spidicules. One? Yeah. Yeah, I love that one. That's one of my favorite <laughs> paint jobs. I've done uh, like two or three of those, and the one I did that was the probably the wildest. Somebody commissioned me to actually paint. Um, it was like one of those jumping spiders with the with the big um, kind of face on the abdomen. Oh, yeah. Right? And it's really so funny. So, and that one actually looks very hairy. And a lot of people get creeped out by that spider <laughs> in general. This just looks very spidery. That's very cool. Uh, so I noticed you've been doing a lot of busts lately, too. Yeah. I'll tell Who you why. That? Go for it. <laughs> Please do. That's what my question was. <laughs> I have bifocals. <laughs> And I'm getting to an age where my vision isn't as good. And so um, a lot of times when, I, when I'm when i painting, I have to take my glasses off because my bifoc- bifocals are too strong for me to see up close. But my actual vision, like my near vision is pretty good. And that's mm-hmm. like I have magnifying eyeballs. So I'm actually doing really well with these busts because they're a bigger scale. I can see them really well. And so, and then I just really like the, again, their narrative and they have, I can do a lot more with color, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, they're pure display pieces as well, which sort of has its own relief to it, doesn't it? Yeah. That, oh, that's another thing. You, I generally don't have to do a lot of basing with the bust. Yeah. Going back to the lazy. Sure. <laughs> it's interesting because I've noticed a lot of, um, top-end painters over the last couple of years have been moving to an increasing interest in busts as well, which I thought is, which I, I'm beginning to suspect that we're, we're beginning to see a, a real movement for miniatures painting as fine art. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, it, it obviously always has been to a certain degree, but it, it seems like there's an increasing embrace amongst that, amongst the, the, the really high-level high painters. Do you, are you finding that as well? I hope so. I, I don't know necessarily if we would go as far as to say fine art. There's a lot of people who really, I don't know why, but they really rebel against the idea of miniatures as art. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, I've had, I've heard professional artists say, we're not, we're not artists, we're colorists. But I've seen there are some painters that really do take it to the art level. Um, and and not to toot my horn, but I think there's a few pieces that I've had where I've really been able to, you know, evoke some emotion from people and, uh, you know, do a little bit more than just, you know, paint a pretty miniature. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I think part of the, 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 the fine art snobbery probably comes with the fact that, you know, it, it has such a, it's roots in such a commercial product originally. Right, um, right. But I, I don't, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, anybody who's painting a miniature is merely, you know, painting a sculpture. That's, that's all, that all it is. That's all it is at its core, right? Right. The fine art world is always sort of, you know, uh, slow to embrace pop art in any form. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I, I have a suspicion that this, this, this may be part of a, a slow sea change on that, you know. Well, yeah. I'm sure the you know, Warhammer 40k armies are generally not going to be in, in fine art galleries. I don't see why, uh, you know, high-end uh, bus painters couldn't be seeing this stuff in the next 10 years. The only way I really feel like this miniature industry is going to be even 
able to come into the art world is if they this is really controversial <laughs> i really think that we need to start having a few art shows and get rid of this competition measuring thing that is you know part of the issue i think when you get into a more of a an art show like a curated art show let's say you know we discuss a group of people say hey we want to have a show let's discuss here's we're going to have this theme and everybody can enter pieces that go along with that theme and then then you see creativity yeah right and it doesn't become about the technical it becomes about the creativity absolutely and then even a piece that's not technically amazing can still be can spark your mind right and i feel sure. like that is something that the industry is very resistant to because it was built upon by gamers and game what do gamers do they compete yeah. right and i don't know if we're going to be able to get away from that because it's so ingrained in our community well i think the, the secondary problem too is that you know the um the, the miniatures themselves are commercial products by made by companies that are to a certain degree competing with one another. So that's sort of an additional level of, right. of issue, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Anyway, definitely. Even in the major miniatures competing competitions, there's always been controversies about, you know, who's, who's paying for the, the prizes and who's sponsoring mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And, you know, and so many of the competitions are, you know, limited to um, specific product lines, which, you know, is obviously a necessity for those companies, but not very good for, you know, elevating the hobby as a whole. There was a while where um, a certain miniature um, competition really you you really wouldn't get very far unless you had your own private sculptor team. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna say, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's that you're you're hitting it all on the head. Exactly. Wait, it's just, I wonder what the venue would would need to be for a miniatures um, gallery show like that. Really, I, I, art I, I, show. Um, right. I think you could do it at a, at like a, sh at a place like Gen Con, you could have like a room or even at Adepticon have a room. Um, but again, you'd, you really need to get across to people that there's no prize. Yeah. There's no prize. The prize is being in the show, you know? Yeah. And, um, I don't know if people, I don't know if people would do that or not. I mean, I think some of them would. But um, it, it, it would be different, you know? I think it's an experiment worth trying for sure. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm going to have to think about it. You give me a lot to think about. <laughs> I'm always oh. thinking about the industry and where it has room to grow. Like there's lots of holes that and, and, and areas that like could grow, but they're set in certain re ways and i don't always know why it has to be like that you know yeah you know one of the things i'm kind of thinking about lately is you know with everything that's happened this past year with with the pandemic mm -hmm. um, and it's really shaken up the convention scene because you know conventions have been on hold for a year and probably will be for at least another six months maybe probably right. for like another year right um, but i think the 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 disruption that's causing is might lead to some opportunities to try new things and, you know, new approaches with all that um, and not just go back to the same old, same old convention we've been doing for 40 years. Yeah, maybe, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, there's plenty of conventions I love and I, I can't wait to get back to Adepticon and Gen Con and so forth, but you know, there's, there's parts of them that are pretty stale. There's probably a good chance that even if we go back to in-person competitions, that all of these cons have switched over to an online convention form. We'll keep that as, you know, because there's always like, remember like Gen Cant or yeah. Adepticant. Uh -huh. And so I really think that they'll keep an online, you know, portion. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So here, here's a question. You know, I, I remember when Crystal Brush was still a thing and they would do the online portion of the, the voting. What were your feelings on that? I, I had very mixed feelings about that and the way it was it was done. There were there were certainly some positives to it, but uh, it felt like um, it could lead to ballot stuffing to a certain degree. <laughs> I mean, it all goes back to competitions are subjective, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the people who tended to be involved in Cool Mini are not... Um, 
on that website because that's with the website that they tended to run it on, right? That website was very Warhammer heavy. Yeah. So that those are the best busts. Didn't do you could. This is what they, I was told. You can't win a crystal brush gold. You know, like the number one prize, right? With a bust. Mm-hmm. That was what I was told. I don't know if it had kept going, if that would always be the case, but it, it, I think it was the case every year that I had been involved in it. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, like, it's interesting, you know, I kind of like the online portion of it because the judges only, only amounted to 50% of your points, right? Mm-hmm. So the rest was sort of left up to the the you know the the rest of the, the world people. who yeah the people who participated so <laughs> i i would often just vote for my friends sure <laughs> <laughs> i'm not going to lie but you know what if the system is set up that way why not yeah you know for there's sure. no penalty for it <laughs> Did you find that um, the, um, the, 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 there were any technical challenges to like how the miniatures were shown on there? Because you, know, you, you can't see it in the round. Um, you know, you, you can't, you, you're very, very dependent upon the person who shot the, the miniatures lighting. Yeah. Um, and I felt yeah. like that could be kind of a big hurdle to jump because, you know, not, you could be the best miniature painter in the world, but if you don't have a good lighting rig, it's not going to do you any favors when you get, get posted on, the, you know, on a website. Well, is it? and so, so you could like, so there's a good example of Kiro Kanaev did a space marine. It was really big. It was um, scratch built, sculpted, and um, the it was like so much freehand all over. I mean, he's he's a true master anyway. But he did this. It was a space marine, and so there was really no way to really tell online the true scale of it. Oh sure. So people could have assumed that it was you know, whatever size of an actual space. Yeah. And it would, that would have been insane. Um, And then there was another piece, Matt DiPietro did this amazing piece with this fish and these people, and it was big too. But um, I don't think, I think, and it was such a shame because it was really one of my favorites in that whole, whole year that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think people were able to see it the way it looked in real life. It just was so stunning, you know, and I don't think, yeah. and again, it wasn't Warhammer, you know, oh, sure. so that was, that was unfortunate. Cause I really think he didn't get the, I mean, he still got an award. I think he got second or third, but he really did such an, I mean, that was one of my favorite pieces of his. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think what I'd seen is that a lot of people who painted did um, like either some kind of World of Warcraft or, or Warhammer fan-esque art. Mm-hmm. And those always did really well. Yeah. <laughs> they were always painted really well as well. Sure. But that subject matter, again, it goes back to subjective to subjectivity, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's hard because you know, so almost anybody who's in miniatures, you know, they, they probably came into it as a fan of you know a, sp- a certain intellectual property or setting or game, and being able to yeah. separate them from themselves, even as a judge, is probably very difficult. My favorite way to see um, like a skill competition is to have everyone painting the same model. Yeah, and, that's always cool. That is that is really fun. Yeah, it's it, it's it's sort of you know those limitations. It's it's going to make you bring up your. Your, your skills or your your deficiencies really like right on the spot isn't it mm-hmm. or just it, i think it shows how creative people can get when they're all painting the same model they're really trying to like showcase and stand out and that's when you see some really neat uh just creativity yeah that's very cool so actually, i want to ask a couple questions here about um as a professional painter what are, what are the, the brushes and paints and stuff that you like that you find yourself going to um, more and more or over and over again, I should say? Um, well, currently I am sponsored by a couple different companies and those are probably the products that I'm using the most lately. 
Um, and I tend to not get into sponsorships with companies that I don't really love. Right? Sure. Why would you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because if I'm putting my name next to something, I really need to believe in it. And so For currently sure. I use a lot of the monument, um, pro curl paints and I really love those. I feel like if you've ever used P3 paints, they remind me a lot of P3, um, but matte. Mm. And they also, because in the brightness of them reminds me of P3, um, but they're matte and they also have the th- a thin quality like Game Air, right? So they airbrush really, really nice as well. And their metallics, I guess their metallics would be comparable to Scale 75, only I kind of like them a little better because they're even, they're just so smooth. Like they don't, with all metallics, you know how they all kind of settle at the bottom, of right? Yeah. <laughs> and and Procryl do a little bit of that too, but I find that they do it a little bit less than some other formulations that I've used. That's great. They also have a line of, um, of uh, what do they call them? Um, transparent paints. Oh, for glazing and such? For glazing, for juicing up an existing paint, for... Yeah, it's insane that the different things you can do with them. And I love them. That's really they dry cool. matte as well. Oh, wow. It's even better. Yeah. yeah. I always find when I find some interesting paint that has, you know, a particularly glossy dry to it. Yeah. <laughs> so that is what I'm using. And then brushes. Again, I'm using the Monument brushes a lot. And I am also sponsored by Redgrass Games. And they have the wet palette. So I've been using... The wet palette a lot. Um, oh, you know what I just started playing with is some w- water mixable oils from Windsor Newton. Oh, interesting. That is um, just started doing that, and I just I've been working on a bust. Um, it's the uh, it's that harpy from Ignis Games. You can actually see that on my Instagram, and I did almost all of her with oils, and it's uh, I love the color saturation with the oils. So you did that with the water soluble oils? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's that like? I started messing with, um, you know, uh, traditional oils a year or two ago, which I mostly use for like weathering effects and, you know, if I want to have a particularly grimy piece, um, which I I find to be really fun and liberating. It's it's really open to my ability to do a lot of stuff. But again, I only really do it with the traditional oil. You need to have your white spirit and your separate set of brushes. And, you know, it's, it's really cool and has some great uses, but it's not... Not necessarily the most versatile thing if you're trying to paint, you know, a traditional 28 scale miniature. Yeah. Uh, so how, how are you finding those those water-based oils work? So, the, so they're different than water-based. They're Sorry. water-mixable. So they're, I think they're an acrylic, which is a little different. Um, but they, what's great about them is they dry very fast. And you, I told you I'm, I'm not only lazy, but I'm impatient. Uh-huh. And so... <laughs> <laughs> So I have to paint to my temperament. And what I like about these is they dry relatively fast. They also, I don't know why, but you can actually um, layer acrylic over this pretty well, which I think with regular oils, it's always fat over lean. You can do oil over acrylic, but usually not the other way around because it'll beat up. With the water mixable, they're, they're a little different. And so you can actually use the acrylic back and forth with them a little bit so i i kind of like that as well that's really cool mm-hmm. and uh, what did you say was windsor newton making those windsor newton mm-hmm. yep i got uh, some yeah. at michael's that's great how big is the um the line of colors available oh it's the, like a full set of oil paints you know oh, wow. yeah yep i'll have to check that out that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> uh but it's crazy so you mentioned the monument brushes what do you what do you like about those um, I like that they're inexpensive and um, they have a nice spring to them. They keep a point pretty well. I think for me, because of the way I use brushes, I don't, I do not take care of my brushes. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so it is kind of pointless for me to spend a lot on a brush. Sure. Um, so it's better for me to have a, a moderate, you know, quality brush that is like I can buy over and over again um than it is to spend a lot like on a on a Windsor Newton or or even a Rosemary and Company or something like that um so I just have a lot of a lot of brushes 
and then I kind of just rotate through them. Sure. Yeah. Now you start moving to like more of the busts and stuff. Are you using larger size brushes, or are you still sticking to a lot of the like the the, the trusty number two? Um, I think the I think I use twos a lot. I think what is my biggest brush is um, a four. But you know, I come from watercolor, right? And the, sure. my watercolor teacher taught me that you can use like a an eight as long as it has a good point. Uh huh. You know, and that's so I'm really pretty good with a big brush so well it's great because you know it keeps so much more paint on the brush too right yeah definitely yeah that's something i've, I've tried you know occasionally I, I run the occasional you know start uh, start painting class at a convention or something and it always seems to blow people's mind i'm like you know you don't want to use the tiny brush because your paint's going to dry on the point before you can exactly. even get it onto the model right yes and i think that's that's really counterintuitive for people but yeah those, those minor brushes sound great uh, yeah Cool. Thanks for sharing all of that. So uh, I want to talk about all the stuff you have going on right now online because you have a lot of stuff going on, don't you? With uh, Twitch <laughs> and 20,000 followers on Facebook. That was a big milestone for you, right? It was huge. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. So I hit 20,000 followers on Facebook. Um, I think I hit like about the same time I hit 15,000 on Instagram. Um, I, think I, I think I'm at 6,000 on Twitch. It's, it's all a little different because it's hard to get people to jump platforms, you sure. know? So each platform takes time to build each audience. Um, but yeah, so I got to 20,000. So I contacted my different sponsors and asked them if they wanted to be in on this milestone celebration. And everybody said yes. So it took me a little while. So by the time I got everything together to do this big birthday celebration stream, I just did it this past Monday. Um, I've already reached 22,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and I think a big part of it has been um, lately I've just I've reached a new level with my work and I feel like it's just bringing in people who aren't maybe in the miniature community. You know, I'm not yeah. sure. It feels like it. And then I think with COVID, to be honest, there's a lot of new people joining the Absolutely. hobby in general, which is really great. Yeah, it's certainly a silver lining. So I'm in the process. Um, I have a kind of a, a secret project that I'm kicking around. I haven't quite decided yet when I'm going to talk about it, but I have a little project I'm thinking about thinking about starting a Patreon so I can maybe get some crowdfunding to help it get going, but sure. it's something, it's something that could really, you know, open up things for the industry. I feel cool. like <laughs> be a little vague there. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, um, what else is going on? Um, yeah, you can, you know, I'm still doing my Twitch channel. I just recently started putting up a calendar of what I'm streaming for each month so you can go to my instagram or my twitter and the pin post there that's great it's you're able to see what i'm doing when which is it's really helped me with just being organized and being motivated sure every month we do a we try to do like a blind auction on my twitch channel yeah and um we also have a follower giveaway and a subscriber giveaway each month as well the blind auction is that I think we did. I, I can't remember if we talked about this, but I have, yeah, the, I have, a piece, I have pieces that I'll paint on my channel that are just from my collection. And I don't, I don't really care too much about keeping something once I've painted it, but sure. it's a way for my fans to, to get a piece that they've seen painted and also, um, you know, kind of fund me being able to paint something that I wanted to paint that wasn't a commission. Sure. Very cool. Um, so I guess one last question, you know, what, what do you paint for yourself at this point? Um, a lot of kingdom death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you play the game or just paint the sculpts? Um, I play the game as well. Really, really, really love this game. Um, unfortunately because of COVID our, our regular group hasn't, yeah. we haven't gotten together and I haven't gotten organized enough to set up everything to do an online game because Kingdom Death actually came out with a um, online showdown board. Oh, cool. So if you have the game, um, you can actually get that for free 
And so I got it, but I we haven't I haven't gotten a chance to use it. Sure. I have yeah. some Eldar. I'm in the process of painting too. I got the Blood of the Phoenix box. I was hoping to teach myself how to play Warhammer <laughs> with the Eldar. Yeah. <laughs> but that's been slow. I I really. That's the thing is that's what's the nice about the Twitch channel and what's nice about the calendar is I I make sure to put something of mine in every month that I want to paint mm -hmm. so that at least I'm getting some of my stuff done. Sure. And do you find that's helping you prevent burnout? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a different headspace and you can be a lot more, a lot more creative and a lot more experimental. Um, it's funny because I actually don't, I don't paint as well for myself as I do other people. There's something about having the eyes of another person that I'm trying to make happy. It's mm -hmm. just always a, a higher quality. Either that or I'm just that hard on myself. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll be like, man, I want to paint the back of that because it's mine. I can. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any other tips for, for avoiding burnout when doing these big projects or commission painting? With, okay, so if you were going to, if I was going to paint an army for me, like that's why I like this Blood of the Phoenix box is all the models are really different. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then with Kingdom Death, there's a lot of models in that too. I think having small, small goals, not trying to like overwhelm yourself and try to get a whole bunch of stuff done at once, but having like, I'm going to paint this this month. I'm going to paint this next month or another thing I do is we do a shelf of shame bingo <laughs> and that makes it really fun because then you've got a whole like a little like list of things and you can make it a game with your friends and your shelf of shame is stuff you haven't painted yet or it's half painted yeah you know because like I said I didn't paint the back or <laughs> <laughs> I didn't finish basing it you know that kind of thing that that bingo really does help if you in there's a lot of people who do that sort of thing so if you are ever interested in challenging yourself you could probably just google shelf of shame bingo and find my old card that i did but it kind of comes down to maybe breaking your, a big project up into digestible chunks and yeah. adding some variety yeah don't do the same thing all the time yeah that makes sense cool well shoshi thanks so much for coming and speaking with me and uh Thank if you're you. listening you're going to find links to all of Shoshi's Twitch and Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. But again, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, thank you so much. The Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com. Mm -hmm.